please be seated. And if you have a Bible and would like to read along with the Old Testament reading, I'll read the entirety of Isaiah chapter 46, uh, or you can listen to it as well. Sometimes at the reading of the Word, it's, it's good to maybe sometimes just set your Bible down and, uh, and just listen to the reading of the Word. Uh, it's, it's a different way of uh, taking it in. And it's, it's the way that uh, for millennia, the people of God took it in, right? In an oral tradition. Uh, so if you want to practice your, your listening skills a little bit better, just, just listen uh, to the Word of God. And as you do, um, remember, these are the very words of, of God. Bell bows down, uh, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. May God richly bless us with the reading of this, uh, uh, this word today. Um, Sometimes we're so, we're, we're so far removed from the text. And, and so it, it just really doesn't sit with us or connect with us. Uh, we, don't, we don't view ourselves to be ancient uh, animists or pagans uh, carving uh, effigies of, of uh, birds or monsters or trees and bowing down and worshiping them. But I'm, I'm sure that um, you, you have heard and uh, have experienced uh, uh, working definitions of idolatry in, in our 21st century, right? Putting 
even God's good gifts before him in our devotion and in our commitment, in our worship. Uh, But here we have a very strong imagery of idolatry, of actually uh, taking our hands and making something and then bowing down and worshiping to it. But the surprising imagery has to do with the verbs in this text. If you notice the two ancient uh, gods, idols that are mentioned, they stoop. And, uh, And then we meet this god who stands like no other, to whom no other person, being, or object can be compared, and he carries. And so the false gods, they stoop, and the one true God, he carries, and then the idolaters, they lift, they lift up. And those are the, those are the controlling verbs, and that's where all the surprises in our text are, and that's where our text connects us. If we, if we can understand those verbs and, and what is around them, then we can connect with this text and maybe be better at following Jesus uh, in, in our day. But uh, Isaiah begins by uh, listing the two uh, greatest uh, gods in the Babylonian pantheon. And he does so because God has commissioned him to prepare uh, Judah, the entire southern nation of Judah, uh, for 70 years of captivity in the city of Babylon. And uh, God is punishing them for their sins of syncretism. Over several hundred years, the people of Judah in the holy city Jerusalem added to the true worship of God in the temple more and more pagan uh, aspects, uh, bringing in other, uh, not, not just bringing in people who weren't followers of Yahweh, the one true God, but bringing in their pagan practices. And God says through Isaiah, enough is enough. I have been patient with you. Now I'm going to punish you for your idolatry. And you don't think it's idolatry because you have slowly, generation after generation, you've brought in a little bit more, a little bit more. And you say, you know, really to reach more people, we have to do this. You know, you know, really so that we can be relevant, we have to add this. Actually, we're getting bored with the one true worship, so we're going to do it this way for a while, so on and so forth. And over the course of several hundred years, uh, the, 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 the worship of Judah was worthless. And God says, you're a stench in my nostrils. I'm going to punish you, 70 years in Babylon, but I'm going to go with you. I will always be your God. I will be with you. And, and so he's preparing them for living in this city that gives quite a bit of lip service and blood to these two gods. Bel is known in the Babylonian pantheon by his greater name, Marduk. And he's most often associated with bolts of lightning that fall on anyone who does not uh, pay him homage, with floods, with war. And he's associated with fiery poison darts shooting out of the mouths of the stallions that pull his chariot. And so in all the ancient literature, including the the best known, the Enuma Elish, the the Babylonian creation myth, 
Marduk is at the top of the pantheon, and he's to be greatly feared. And uh, the, the uh, emperors who served, uh, who ruled in, in Babylon, rather, uh, would evoke uh, sometimes Marduk's name. And uh, so he had a son, and his son's name is Nebo, and that's the second god listed. And Nebo is the god of writing and wisdom. And what he does is he puts down into poetry in, and into edict everything that Marduk, his father, says. And so he's the fount of wisdom. Well, guess what Nebo writes? Be very afraid. You don't want to mess with my father. Be very afraid of him. And so the entire uh, pantheon of Babylonian gods is built on this fear and this destruction from the top. And, and God is preparing his people to come into this setting, into this climate of worship. Look, you have, you've uh, syncretized, you've mucked up the worship of me, the one true God, who, by the way, I'm very loving. I have borne with you, and, and um, I, I stand alone. There's no one who can be compared to me. But you've mucked that up. You've made it really complicated, and your heart is divided. So I'm going to put you into this setting. I'm going to put you into the Babylonian Empire at its epicenter so you can see what true idolatry, when it's borne out to its final conclusions, looks like. It's about fear. It's about blood spilled. It's about sleepless nights. It's about getting nothing that you want. It's all for serving this monster at the top who, who will surely hit your heart with his, his, his poison dart if you do anything against him, if you don't listen to his son, who is all wisdom. And so it is that Isaiah says, isn't it ironic that the tradition in the streets of Babylon is to take these little gilded statues of Marduk and 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 Nebo and strap them to the back of oxen and then the oxen run through the streets of Babylon and everyone sees the statue on its back between its shoulder blades and says, oh, there's our gods, pay homage to the god of Marduk. So that the people of Babylon did not always have to go to Marduk's temple to see the great statue of him. They were on a daily basis as they went about their their, their uh, schedule on a daily basis as the oxen ran through the streets or as Isaiah says stumbles in the gutter so that the, the gods on the backs of the oxen fall into the muck and mire in the gutter isn't it ironic that these two great gods have to be carried about by cattle and the irony would, would not be lost on Judah for they knew with the entire ancient world around the Fertile Crescent that Marduk was known by his great title, the bull calf of the sun. So what's with that? The bull calf of the sun is born on the backs of street cattle who stumble because they're so tired so that, you know, Mud gets splattered on this golden, this little golden idol. 
That's, that's the irony of, of the first bit of the imagery here. That's why Isaiah says, this is the stooping of the gods. Do you, do you see what's happening here? Cattle are supporting your great God. Why does Marduk need to be supported in any way? But here's the real surprise in the text with the second verb, which says that God carries us. We would expect in, in good literature for the comparison to be between the cattle and who? Us, right? But God compares himself to the cattle in the streets. Did you notice that? He says, isn't it ironic that the Babylonians put their idols on the backs of cattle to support them through the street for the glory of Marduk and Nebo? But I am your God, and I will carry you. I have always borne you. What a beautiful picture of God. He likens himself to the humble cattle in the street, and he is bearing us. He is walking through the streets of this world saying, look at my children. Just as he said years ago, back in the, eon, the, at the dawn of time about his servant Job, when Lucifer came into his presence and, 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 and God said to him, have you seen my servant Job? How blameless he is in all of his ways? I'm so proud of him. That's what God says about you. All of you who have your faith in Jesus Christ, who humbly follow after him, who do not bow to these false gods, but follow the one true God of heaven and earth. He supports you. He cares for you. He bears you upon his back. He says of you, look. He says to the world, Look at my precious possessions. Look at my daughter. Look at my son. I am so proud of them. They embody my grace and my truth and my love. And so it is that uh, Isaiah brings this uh, amazing message to the people of Judah. As you go into captivity, know this. God will carry you. God will carry you through it. Um, some of you might be old enough to remember that cheesy little anonymous poem that has been printed all over the world with really bad art, with, uh, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the, the problem is, is that it, it's, it's true. But, you know, have you ever read in a, in a low-end gift store, Footprints in the Sand? And it just it makes my skin crawl. But you know what? It's true. Why is there only one set of footprints? Because in those difficult times in our life, when we're going through trials and tribulations, when things aren't just the way we want them to be, when we are weak, God carries us. And it's his footprints. God carries us. It's not God and me, baby walking down the beach. I got to help you out, God, or I'm your equal partner. There's nothing in the scripture that comes close to that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Heavenly Father poured out upon us is that he bears us up. He carries us. So it is that um, 
when we come to the uh, New Testament and Jesus is telling his parables so that we who belong to him might understand more about our relationship to him and his great love for us. He tells uh, of that shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep in the fold safely and goes out into the dark, into the crags, into the dangerous places of this world to look for that one lost lamb. And he finds the lamb and he bears the lamb on his shoulders, bringing him back to town. And as he comes back into town, if you remember Jesus' story, you know how he's complaining about how all the burrs that are stuck in the lamb's wool has scratched and chafed his neck all the way home? How the lamb stinks of the darkness of this world and how in his nostrils all the way home he had to put up with the stink of this animal who doesn't know any better to stay with the flock? You know the story that Jesus told, right? How the shepherd was just so angry and irritated that he had to leave the other 99 and and the wolves were around and they might be able to get in the fence, but he had to go after this one worthless, irresponsible, sinful, arrogant son of his, this lamb out there who just doesn't know anything and and, and needs my help and, and I'm so frustrated and irritated and angry with him. You know, that's how the story goes. The real surprise, because, I mean, that's the world I live in, that's my personal experience, is that this shepherd is whistling, he's he's singing, he gets back to town, he says, hey, everybody, rejoice with me, I found my lost lamb. And he's so excited about finding this, this little, you know, this little thing. And that's God carrying us. This is the gospel in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God carries us. And then in contrast to that, the last verb in the text that is in this chain, at least, it's not the last verb in the text, but it's the last one in the chain, is that there are those, even after God, as he does in 46 here, clearly presents himself in his glorious and exclusive nature, in his power and authority over all things in this world. You notice these people who uh, do not want to have anything with God, they, they lift up. Actually, they're busy. They take their money and they, they commission a goldsmith and a silversmith and say, to my specifications, make this idol. And then they lift up that idol. And then in their life and in their world, in their streets, they parade that idol. And uh, God is preparing Judah to go into uh, 70 years of life in Babylon. How are we going to live? Are you going to actually worship worthless gods who get tossed into the gutter off the backs of cattle? Are you going to worship the one true God who bears you up so that you would live by his grace and mercy every day? Or are you going to turn around and say, wow, the Babylonians, they're at the top of the world. There's no one as great as them. 
not only in military might, but in culture. So I'm going to enter into that culture. I'm going to commission its artists to make a God specially for me. I'm going to spend my hard-earned money on that God. And, and the reason why is because it will allow me to do what the serpent told my mother in the garden was possible. And that is that I can be the lifter. I can be God. I can, I can be the one who's supporting. Look at me. Look at me. See, that's the big lie about gods. When we say, oh, well, we're, we're religious. Or better yet, where we live, we're spiritual. We have a God. Or we have a system. We have a moral system. No, you don't. You have two hands up in the air. And you've got a big mouth saying, look at me. Look at me. And so uh, the, way, the way Isaiah ends this is he says in verse 11, he, he speaks for God, of course, and God says, look, I'm the one who's in charge here. Everything's going to happen according to my will, verse 10. He says, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to call Cyrus the Great from the Far East, and he's going to be your punisher. He's going to be your warden for 70 years. And, you know, in, in the Jewish mind, anything east was a far ways off and was, it was wrong. It was human evil to the east. So from the east, I'm going to call this person. By the way, that king wasn't as bad as many of the Babylonian kings. Uh, he wasn't as bad as Nebuchadnezzar, for example, who took the name of Nebo into his title, Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't as bad as Nebuchadnezzar, but he was a pagan. He did God's will only because God said, I'm going to use you to be the warden for my, my beloved children for these 70 years. But then once again, we have a surprise in the text. God is not only bringing to his children the discipline that they need, the punishment that they need, but he also says, not very far off, I have something really good for you. I have my righteousness and my salvation. And these are not very far off. Oh, and by the way, these are not, these are not impersonal gifts I'm giving to you. Uh, I'm giving to you something very personal. I'm giving to you my son. Uh, he's not so far off. He, he will actually come into your world. He will be one of you. He will actually take upon himself your sins, your life. He will actually bear you on the cross. He will actually be so close to you that he will be your representative and my satisfaction. He will bear upon himself my wrath for your sins. That's how close he is to you. And it's just not a package. It's not a little bottle of pills. One, the, you know, take one righteousness capsule a day and one salvation capsule a day. This is God coming into our world and bearing us up. It's not far off, he says, and he means by time as well. I will not delay. You think 70 years is a long time? 
You think your present trial is very difficult? I will not delay. I will bring salvation to you. Well, he delayed for several centuries. You know, you could go Google and see how, how long it was from the Babylonian captivity to the coming of Christ. And God says, I will not delay. But that's the timing, and that's God's timing. And what is so beautiful for us is that is all in our redemptive past. Christ Jesus has come. He has borne our sins. And he has risen from the dead and he has ascended to heaven. And this one who rules and reigns is our salvation, not far off. How close is Jesus to you? By his Holy Spirit, he can dwell within you. With his word opened in front of you, his voice can be closer to you than any other voice in this room. Do you desire to be close to God? Remember the Apostle James says, draw near to, to me and I will draw near to you. This day, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I want to be near you. I want to be close to you. I no longer want to be an orphan. I want to be a child. And God will draw near to you. He is not far off. Let's give him thanks in our prayers. We do ask, O oh Lord, that you would encourage us with your holy gospel this day, that you would take these good words, these beautiful words penned by your prophet Isaiah, and bring them into our present life. Father, I pray for those who are going through difficult trials, those who are being sorely tempted toward idolatries of many kind, that you would liberate them this day, that you would send your Holy Spirit to take these words and press them down into the lives of these precious uh, individuals who belong to you and to no one else. We pray, Lord God, for our children this day, that you would put your protection, your loving and guiding hand uh, toward them for their good, that they would hear these good words and follow you all the days of their lives. We pray, Lord God, for those, um, our loved ones, our neighbors, our acquaintances who are ill. Uh, we pray that you would heal them in the name of Jesus. For the prisoner, we pray, Lord God, that uh, she would have hope in you this day. Uh, for the uh, poor and the oppressed, O oh Lord, may they trust in you for bread. We pray, Lord God, for all the nations of the world, that they would bow the knee before our reigning King of kings and Lord of lords, in whose name we pray. Amen.